Thank you everyone for joining us. I'm here today with Dr. Tom Bell, who's a family physician here to talk to us about cannabis and his clinical experiences. Thank you very much, Elias. Uh, and thanks to the Schizophrenia Society for uh, allowing me to be part of this really nice program. I'm, I'm really impressed with what's been done so far. So I'd like to take a couple of minutes to explain just kind of how a country semi-rural GP ends up on a podcast devoted to cannabis and psychosis. Um, so um, let me just say about 15 years before retiring, <clears throat> I got involved with our local Canadian mental health early psychosis intervention program. Uh, all through my practice, I was uh, always um, committed to giving time to my patients who, who were suffering from mental health issues. So uh, counseling or uh, supportive psychotherapy, um, on my own, but also utilizing community resources was, was very important. So I got to know people in the community. Uh, our local hospital has a, a first-rate uh, mental health care department and outpatient department uh, and so on. And so um, I was aware that the Canadian Mental Health Association had a branch office in Peterborough. And my involvement was in sitting, listening to parents talk about uh, their experiences and their challenges with uh, teenagers, teens that develop psychosis. And it was uh, a real eye-opener. Uh, it was very stressful for the families. Uh, not to say that, and I've, I've seen uh, other segments of the podcast, I mean, it's not always this way. There's various presentations, but where we were in that space, these were people that were really quite stressed. And the other piece to this was in listening to them, and this is about 15 years ago, the frequent refer referral or reference to um, using cannabis at the time the psychosis began. And this was something that was new to me. Um, people viewing this podcast should know that there really was very, very limited training to family for family doctors on, on, on street drugs and recreational drugs. In fact, research, as you know, on this topic has has uh, lagged by a decade or so. And, and so we're, 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 in, we're in a big learning curve right now. But the, I put this in the back of my mind. I thought, this, 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 this can't be good. A few years later, um, I used to go to what we call grand rounds at our hospital. Dr. Peter Hughes, who is a pediatrician in Peterborough, uh, gave a very good talk called um, Cannabis Coming to a Corner Near You. And this was uh, a couple of years before the legislation was about to change for, for legalizing uh, marijuana possession. Uh, it was a fascinating talk. It's a great talk that he gives. And in the course of that, he referred to evidence of um, THC actually altering cellular relationships in the developing brain and the neuron uh, between neurons in, uh, in the developing brain of, um, of individuals, of teens. And once again, I thought, no, oh, this is really quite interesting. And I ended up partnering with uh, Peter. Um, he gave uh, and gives this talk all over central and eastern Ontario. Uh, but he and I and several other people in, in um, Peterborough started to give presentations to parent groups in, uh, about just on information around, around what we were learning about cannabis and youth. And what um, came out of this for me was um, that parents, there were a, lot, a number of parents who had significant knowledge gaps with respect to 
what cannabis is, how it, the impact is on the kids, what to say to the to their children, and so on. So there seemed to be a fair bit of anxiety about that. And I thought, well, I'm going to research this a bit more. And I began to look into it, and uh, I found a few articles that referenced Dr. Suzanne Archie. So uh, I got in contact with Suzanne, who has been really supportive uh, in my quest and um, made some good, um, told me about some good articles that I started to look into. Uh, the Center for Addiction and Mental Health Library uh, people helped me, sent me some, some articles. And you know, once you start reading articles, you start seeing references, you see the same names coming up, people who are involved. I filled up um, a whole book, a journal on, on, on some of the data and I thought, I wonder if this could be translated into a book for parents. And so basically that's what I did in the end of my retirement as I wrote this, this book and you've allowed me to flog it so I can show it. Yep, 100%. There it is there. <laughs> <laughs> it's Cannabis and Kids, a primer on pot for parents and caregivers. So it's, uh, it's evidence-based as much as I could. And it has um, been, scrutineered by a few people in the mental health care field and and it's it's kind of been given a, a green light as as current and topical and safe and respectful um and so the um uh the this was kind of an exciting end to uh to uh, i guess to my career in a way uh but i uh i uh, i i would would want to make a statement if you don't mind and basically just want to say um, this journey has led me to conclude that parents play a significant role in the learning of their children about harm prevention and harms reduction related to exposure to cannabis, just like other any other risks in growing up. And I think that uh, I would like to encourage parents to uh, seize the moment to uh, learn to learn about the topic and not to be afraid to open up the topic with their with their with their children and uh, so in that sense i i would like to share some of my experiences in prevention and just what i've learned from reading and writing this book that might be helpful to the parents yeah and thank you for all of that it really gives context to how you ended up here and how you developed yeah. your expertise on on this topic yeah and I know you touched already on harm reduction, which is a big piece of our our campaign here. Like what we're trying to accomplish is re being able to reduce the harms associated with uh, cannabis use, not necessarily like change the use itself, but change how people um, view their use or change how people use their, in terms of like to cope or to, for fun, just to put it into a context that will be helpful in their lives as opposed to bring about harm. So. Absolutely. But that does kind of beg the question, what are some of the harms that uh, people can experience from cannabis? Well, you know, uh, there are some very well-recognized harms. Uh, and I, I think I'd like to preface it by <clears throat> pointing out that uh, people who are watching this program uh, shouldn't have to panic over this. These are, are harms that have shown to occur uh, in relation to the use of cannabis in, in some situations. Um, and as has been alluded to in the past, uh, the risks of harms are greater the younger the onset of use of exposure to cannabis is. The, uh, the kind of um, 
cannabis or THC concentration that is being consumed and the frequency. And I think uh, there's a fourth piece that uh, I think bears uh, uh, mentioning is that also the, the role of synthetics, that, that uh, it's so important that kids understand it's to stay away from synthetics because there's you know that very important findings of real risks around that. But the, those other three risks uh, increase the, the potential for harm. So uh, in the mental health area, um, we know that the psychosis can be uh, brought out or triggered with exposure to cannabis in, in susceptible individuals. Um, but in other areas of mental health, there are certainly um, risks associated with cannabis use, regular cannabis use and depression in, in adolescence. And uh, there's been some recent studies that I came across um, that really support that. Uh, and also worsening of anxiety. Um, you know, the, the impact, as you know, uh, from what I understand, the impact of cannabis uh, immediately when you use it is a relief of anxiety and a kind of chill and a mellow, which is really very attractive. But if you're, if you're kind of struggling with anxiety, uh, you may think, oh, this is pretty good. And then when it wears off, you're back to square one and your, your brain kind of has to reorganize. And it, there it is again. And you then tend to use it again. And there's that self-medicating cycle that can occur. And uh, so it, it, it definitely is associated with, um, with anxiety problems. Um, Long-term use can be associated with, they call it a motivational disorders, um, social withdrawal. You can, uh, you can form a small network of users and, and peers, and, but that's your life kind of, and it, it can be a bit controlling, I think. Under the other area that is a risk is in cognition. And uh, I think there's definitely some research that shows there's uh, an impact on ability to learn and translate what you're hearing uh, into meaningful memory and, uh, and the ability to make appropriate conclusions about what you're supposed to be learning. Um, so the, uh, a 15 year old who, who smokes up at, at lunch at, in high school, you know, is, isn't going to be really learning maybe quite what they should in the afternoon. And that can result in a drop in academic performance. So these are all, you know, these are all kinds of risks. I think there's a, there's another risk that bears mentioning and, and that would be depression or not depression, sorry, addiction. Um, it's pretty, it's pretty well known that regular use. And I think we tend to think of regular use, use as about three times a week or more. Um, it can be associated with about a 16, 16% risk of, of cannabis use disorder. Um, that's about one, one person per six. Um, whereas with adults, it's around 10%, it's about one in 10. Um, and the other area that of course bears mentioning in terms of harms is uh, the risk of accidents and so on um, with, um, you know, with use. And, and the um, Mothers Against Drunk Driving and, and a number of other agencies, uh, drugfreekidscanada.org, are engaged in really good media uh, advertisements, you know, um, urging people to, uh, to have a care if they're, if they're, if they're high. Um, I, 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 I'll step out on a limb and I'll mention a very interesting study that was done. If you don't mind, you can, you can always cut it if you run out of time. <laughs> but in 1991, um, 
pilots were given a joint and smoked a, a standardized strength, and I can't re remember what the strength was, but they had a joint, and then there were nine of them, and they put these pilots into simulators to fly a plane and put them in at, uh, I think, 2, 4, 8, 12, 24, and 48 hours. And uh, 24 hours after they had had a joint, the majority of them, I think maybe only one pilot, thought he was a little bit buzzed yet. But the rest of them felt normal. But out of that, those nine, there were seven pilots that failed the, uh, the test, even though they felt pretty good. So it implies there may be some impairment in other brain structures like the cerebellum or something. Uh, I mean, it bears further study. It was only nine pilots. But, you know, when you read something like that, you go, oh, gee, this, we better watch out for this. So, yes, um, the message there, if anybody, is basically be very careful and give yourself lots of time after you've used. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the interesting piece about that study is these pilots are, like, actually trained to fly. Like, they're... Mm -hmm. They're not just like the average person trying to trying to fly a plane. It's like yeah. the this is their job. This is their profession, and yeah. like even that is impaired by by smoking a joint like 24 hours earlier. And I wanted to to circle back to some of the harms and just mm -hmm. talk about how it's it's probably not the experience of everyone that they no. experience all these harms, right? And Good like certain point. people are more likely to experience certain harms, and there are people who are probably likely to experience none of them, right? That's right. I, I had a, a great conversation with one uh, young fellow. Uh, I, everybody's younger than I am, but one one <laughs> at, at one of our presentations up uh, in Halliburton, and um, he was very respectful and very articulate. He was kind of standing back and listening to us, and I could tell he was really thinking. He was uh, kind of a skateboarder dude, and he had uh, big hair, and uh, and he kind of took issue with what we were saying because the reason being that. He said, well, I'm, I use this. I've, I've been using it for two or three years. And uh, he said, you know, I, I don't know what the, what's the, the whole issue. He, he, I think he, if I remember correctly, maybe two or three times a week he used it. And so I listened to him. And, and as, he, as he talked, he mentioned that, that when exam time was coming close, he, he had to study. He would, he would get off of using it. Uh, and he would basically, he was able to, take control of what he was doing. And, and he was obviously an individual who had a handle on it and wasn't suffering um, tolerance or, or getting into any other areas of concern. And I think to your point, I think there are probably uh, a lot of kids who thankfully are able to kind of keep on top of that. So yes, I, I hope I answered your question by that. But yeah. Yeah, and I do have one more question about the, the harms before we before we move forward. But um, from what I know, a lot of the a lot of the studies are associative as well, right? So yes. Um, so like with depression or anxiety, for example, it could be that someone who is experiencing depression is more likely to use pot um, because they're experiencing like that, the, exactly, yeah, exactly. That's yeah. right. The the one study that uh, may open my eyes that. May have, may have changed that is a journal of the American Medical Association, JAMA Psychiatry, and it was out. Um, I re referred to it in the book, and they looked at uh, their cohorts were teens who used regularly versus teens that didn't use at all, and they were they had no pre-morbid. These weren't kids that were suffering from any pre-existent problems or family issues, and um, 
I, they were like age and sex match. It was, a, it was a good study. And they found that the kids that were using uh, cannabis regularly did have a significantly higher incidence of depression. And they concluded that it had to be not only an associative thing, but uh, um, cause is it's a strange term, but it was it was a risk. There was a, there is mm-hmm. a higher risk if you're if you're a a well teen and uh, you start using cannabis with regularity, uh, um, you are at a higher risk of having depression. Doesn't mean for sure you're going to get it, but please be aware if things are seeming to go south and, you know, you're getting more withdrawn and sad or losing interest, you know, those are those kind of red flags that you need mm-hmm. to be aware of. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But overall, yeah, there's that associative element that uh, people have to be aware of. Mm-hmm. And I think the idea of risk uh, kind of ties us really well into the next point of like talking more about uh, what parents can do because parents can be a huge protective factor and what you were talking about uh, at the beginning there where um, parents can play a huge role in like mitigating the harms that their kids experience from from cannabis use or uh, substances in general. So can you touch a bit more about uh, that? Sure. I'd love to do that. And that, that, that kind of leads into, you know, what our objectives were, but the, uh, again, what I learned from the journey in my book, uh, was that reading some studies uh, that were um, surveys from teens. The teens uh, value good information. They don't want to feel they're being manipulated around. They, they, they don't want to necessarily, um, I'm going to put it in my words, uh, they don't want to um, adopt a parent's value system like my value system when I say don't do drugs. You know, that's my value system. No, that's that's not really where they want to go. They want to know information so they can, I, I think, wor- uh, work it out and make good critical decisions. But they do value their parents' input. So that was very clear. Um, and the the other aspects of, of this uh, survey showed that a lot of kids get their information from social media, the internet, uh, and and as you and I know, it's fraught with uh, perils, uh, distorted information, and so on. So this is an opportunity for parents to play a really good directive role in helping the kids access good information. So uh, I, I think it's it's extremely important. Um, and if I if I can share some of uh, my thoughts about that i would like to can i can i kind of kind of go Please. down yeah. yeah sure well I, the first piece and this is what what i did in in uh, i'll i'll sort of compare it to what i did in practice pretty well every family doctor in canada uh, or anywhere every day is practicing some element of risk management um or preventive medicine and or harm prevention harm reduction it's it's all overlapping and uh, there are fundamentally two components that, that, that I referred to as one is primary prevention and the second is secondary prevention. And I, I, I wondered as I was preparing for this uh, blog uh, segment, uh, how does that relate to cannabis and kids? Primary prevention is where we try to reduce the likelihood of an event occurring. So um, I, I just realized a really good example is you've got a, a two-year-old toddler, a, a niece coming to visit you or a granddaughter, and you go around and 
put those plastic uh, electrical outlet plugs in so they don't harm themselves. That is completely a primary prevention. You don't want to prevent them to, from hurting themselves, possibly getting electrocuted, but certainly suffering a bad burn. So that's primary prevention. Secondary prevention is the, the work and the strategy that we do to um, prevent the uh, uh, somebody who already has a condition from experiencing the consequences of that condition. So uh, I like the diabetes. Uh, when we care, when I cared for people with diabetes, I would use evidence-based guidelines to um, to frame or to shape the care I gave. Um, but the 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 treatments were all based on what was shown to be of value. So uh, you the, the the major risk of type two diabetes is stroke, heart attack, kidney failure, blindness, that sort of thing, vascular problems. So you worked with patients to um, um, initiate these strategies. But the really important thing about that was um, education and and helping your patient understand why we're doing it. You know, it, it used to be when I started practice, uh, take two of these every morning. They're really Take two of the white pills every morning. You'll be just fine, you know? Uh, yes. yes, doctor. Yes. And that, doesn't, that doesn't happen. No, it's, it's, uh, that's, that's what we do. So, um, but core to this is learning the topic. And so if you're going to translate this to parents uh, working with their kids with, for cannabis, the first thing parents really should do and make an effort is really get to understand what it's what it's all about. Uh, you know, uh, dispel your myths. Uh, I'll, I'll share you a little story. When I was 14, my mother said, you'll like this, Tommy, don't ever accept a cigarette from somebody uh, that you don't recognize from somebody you don't know. Right. Oh, so if, if that meant if I didn't know you, but you came up and offered me a, a camel cigarette, oh, I, I recognize that it's safe. Or if um, uh, if I know you and you offered me a rolled up doobie, that's safe. So then I asked my mom, what are you talking about? She said, I'm talking about marijuana. You know, that's a drug that they take in the Middle East and the assassins use it. And they and, and you know, they then they go out and kill people. And that was my introduction to to marijuana. It got me interested. Here I am <laughs> down the road. But you see, um, nobody knew much about it. There was all this myths built up around it. Um, and so I think the basic piece here for parents is to, um, is to understand uh, what cannabis is about, its impact, what the risks are, and feel comfortable uh, with that knowledge and confidence. So you have to be kind of confident if you're going to talk with kids, I think. Um, I, I would like to mention um, MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Uh, their websites uh, will be very helpful. I really love uh, drugfreekidscanada.org. Uh, drugfreekidscanada. It's all one word. Um, they have a talking with teens package that's it's superb. Um, and you can also go online and actually talk to a teen actor volunteer and even rehearse some of the, the dialogue because there's some words that they recommend that, that we avoid. You, again, in the area of uh, fear-mongering or uh, using excessive words that, uh, that may kind of turn, turn their kids off a little bit. So I think that it's, um, it's very important to, um, 
to to have that knowledge base. There's another very good um, reference. It's called Canada's Lower Risk Cannabis Use Guidelines, and it's available through uh, the Center for uh, uh, Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH.ca. I think if you just entered that term, cannabis lower uh, lower risk use guidelines, I think you would get it as well. But that that helps to set the stage, I think, to uh, exactly to the points you're making is that it's uh, it's very um, appropriate and applicable. Mm-hmm. The other, the other um, so uh, I in doing my prevention thing, I really have to make sure I knew what I was talking about, and that was our job, and that's Family Docs. We do that. Um, conversations, not confrontations. And that's something that I, a statement I dreamed up, but it's a conversation. And it's not, um, it shouldn't degenerate into an argument or anger or a fight or threats or, nobody should be upset over this. It's really an informative information thing that um, it's a dialogue you're having and it, it may take time to open the door for some kids uh they they may not think that you're as a parent you what do you know about it you know although i would insert here it it occurred to me that a lot of parents today are going to be 30 and 40 year olds and many will have had personal experiences i think with cannabis anyway so they'll have their own uh you know and and many may not need an awful lot of coaching they may be able to speak with experience you know but i would recommend nonetheless that um begin the dialogue early um uh it's uh, it's important to start i think around grade six you you know they use the phrase the the horse bolts from the barn or that ship sailed a long time ago um it's it's uh, potentially a good time to start with kids just inquiring about what they know about drug use or do they have any friends that they know of people using drugs what do they think about it um it's it's good to get you know, and and the topic can be introduced, not formally, but it can be around the supper table. Um, one of my points was, I think it's really important to, if at all possible, to sit and have dinner together, if you can, as a family, uh, to uh, capitalize on these opportunities. Um, I remember um, an interview with Kurt Browning's mother. Kurt Browning is a well-known, famous Canadian figure skater. And it was a long time ago, I think after the Olympics, and the interviewer was asking his mom about uh, the long hours on the road with her son. I think Kurt lived in Alberta, if I'm not mistaken. And she said it was the best thing because she got to know her son and they had lots of time to talk. And this this is that kind of thing I think we need to try to search for as uh, as parents. Another very important point and um, in this is um, working with teachers. Now, um, I must say, I didn't work with teachers that much in, in practice, but but I'm trying to translate this into a value for parents. Um, most high schools and schools have home school associations or parents councils. Uh, I think it's really important to find out what the curricula are and and your and the schools your kids go to, uh, and and get to know your teachers, your kids' teachers, if possible. Um, I'll take this opportunity to say that many school boards are developing curricula and um, my niece, who is a teacher in the Toronto School Board uh, region, was on a uh, committee that developed 
their drug education curricula from grade six to grade 12. And it's it, what's really uh, wonderful is, and she reassured me recently that this still applies, the Toronto District School Board will, will they did a lot of work developing this curriculum and they will uh, share with other school boards or other school regions and districts uh, what they've put together, saving a lot of time and, and expense. But I think that it's really important to for parents to uh, be involved with the school. Uh, I, I had a chat with a vice principal at one of our high schools in Peterborough and the parents association is virtually non-existent. And I found that really quite, um, quite shocking. Um, uh, I like to think as a, <clears throat> a father, I participated in, uh, in it to some degree, nothing like my wife did, mind you. And if my wife heard me say this, she would be saying, oh, I, you know, you missed half of those, Tom, you know, you were busy or you were doing something. But nonetheless, uh, it, making an effort to know the teachers and what's going on at the school, I think is very important. Um, make sure when you're talking with your child, much as what I would do with, with uh, my patients, is that the language used is fairly straightforward and, and appropriate to their, their level of education or their age. And you can always check out with them, do they understand what? what you were kind of saying, you know, where are we in this conversation? Um, another option that I think might be worth exploring is um, sitting down with um, your, your team or your child and looking at some websites on cannabis. Uh, they're pretty, the safe ones are pretty good, easy to identify. Often they're associated with, you know, the Canadian Mental Health Association or uh, Schizophrenia Society, things like that. Um, I think, I, if you don't mind, I, I can kind of come to a close on, and deal with a little bit of the primary and secondary prevention where that mm -hmm. is cannabis, because I didn't really. So primary prevention would be where you're sitting down with a, some one of your children in grade six or seven or eight, or one of the kids who's never not using it, not experienced it, um, is, is, is cannabis naive, in other words, uh, in, in, in terms of actual experience. And, and talking with them and having the discussion and seeing where they're at. Um, so that's where the child is, is not using. Um, secondary prevention is, and so in that case, harm reduction would be, uh, successful harm reduction would be if, the, if, the, if your child abstains or decides to delay use, you know, if he's a 12 or 13 year old and thinks about it and is able to go until they're 17, 18, or 19, that, to me, that's a success. That's good. Mm -hmm. uh, or, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, or even if the child is uses it a little bit earlier than that, but <clears throat> is only going to share a joint or isn't, isn't going to use shatter or synthetics or something, then again, mm -hmm. you know, you, we've, we've been successful. In the area of secondary prevention, that would be where if by circumstance, you know, the parent discovers that their child is, is already using and uh, it uh, and, 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 and wants to know, well, where do we go with that? Uh, again, basic principles would be don't panic. Everything's OK. Your your child is in pretty good to hear. And uh, and so let's just begin from here. And it would be basically from a point of view, I think, of of sharing your concern that uh, that. Um, you know, I'd like, I'd like to hear more about it. Um, how do you feel? Are you doing okay? I think a very important issue here is that 
um, somebody using cannabis, especially if it's being used fairly regularly, may be doing that for a reason. There may be uh, some underlying uh, emotional stress stressors or mental health stressors. Um, I would throw up something like uh, self-esteem issues or maybe the there's bullying going on or online something or other or you know so that if if the response is to uh, stress the risks around the cannabis use without looking at other parts of that of, of that child's existence uh, it may just simply add to the stress or potentially I think could potentially distance your child from you um, so it, it's um, it's a little bit more of a sensitive thing, um, but I like to think that it's still something that would be very doable, and that would be where Canada's lower risk guidelines would be really very helpful, and would be very helpful to uh, to provide or to go over with your with your team, you know, and uh, and you know just really again hope for the best. Um, uh, certainly, I don't think bringing up the topic is going to cause your team to start using weed or anything like that i think it's it's just all in part of good communication mm-hmm. um, yeah yeah uh, yeah in, in my reading it was kind of interesting that there was some comments um there's a book called the pot book that um i forget the author's name but there was a good segment on um on just these issues and one of the comments was just um keep life on a boil with your kids you know keep them active uh, encourage them to participate in sports or the arts, music, or set of drums, beat the devil out of a set of skins. <laughs> you know? But but you know that's that's also very important. Yeah, and so I think that touches on the protective factors as well, like being able to to have other things in their life and be able to support them, building like kind of a well-rounded life that it isn't solely focused on like substances or school or whatever it may be. Just to be able to have a lot of things going on and yeah. how parents can play a huge role in that and it's a lot to a lot of information to dissect but one thing that really stood out to me was uh the idea of collaboration not confrontation and the yes. whole idea that it's it's not like a parent versus a child it's like the parent and a child versus the harms yeah so being able to work together to like have that communication and have those honest dialogues around like okay, like this is this is what the substance is. This is where you're at right now. And these are like the potential harms. Like how can we, how can we form this relationship that you're developing with the substance to be the least harmful possible, or at least the, have the least amount of harms that you're comfortable with? That's right. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, um, I thought of this analogy and it's, um, you're welcome to cut it out if you don't like it, but adolescence is like, um, the Millennium Falcon going through the meteor, the, the, that meteor belt. He's being mm-hmm. chased by, I think, the Empire and the TIE Fighters. <laughs> you know, and the Millennium Falcon is bouncing off of meteors and banging around, and I don't know why it doesn't get destroyed. But eventually it comes out at the other end, and then they go to warp speed, or, you know, boom, they're gone. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think of my own teen years, and being an adolescent is kind of like that. And if if, and and I think my a role of a parent might be just kind of to help, you know, figuratively speaking, help that Millennium Falcon kind of maneuver a little bit, and help them get the the um, the tools to avoid those 
meteors and just cruise past until you come out at the other end and you you have a better a better sense on things anyway i just throw that out yeah and i think like kind of extending the metaphor like it means it's okay for to have a couple of bumps and scrapes as long as the you're going the ship to is still intact by the by the time you exit the meteor field then yeah it's uh it's a win you're gone. yeah you're gone. Mm -hmm. and, and you know the the, the the nice part and i'm sure you could relate this is that when you come out through the meteor field and you look back uh, when you were 14 or 15 you kind of go what was that all about mm -hmm. you know you're, you're you're through it. You've moved through it, and so it's just getting there without without getting hurt, or yeah. it's possible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know. Thinking back on my own experiences, like I I don't understand like the motives of past me a lot of the time when I was like really into just substances in general and just not not really paying too much attention to anything else. Like the the mindset doesn't really resonate anymore because I had all those protective factors that I'm superbly like grateful for and they helped me to kind of work through the that that meteor field and kind of I was scraped up a little bit along the way but made it through and that's what's that's important right. that that's what's important yeah mm -hmm. exactly yeah yeah and I wanted to also touch a bit on the the prevention piece as well because I think you you dug into it a little bit but I think we can we can touch on it okay. once more before we before we wrapped up here um and I wanted to just tie together a few different things that you had said uh, about primary prevention, because we talked about the secondary prevention and being able to help people through those bumps and scrapes. So with the primary prevention, um, like a big piece of that is that amazing information and that dialogue that people have, right? And while the lower risk guidelines are for, can be used for um, like secondary prevention, but for the primary risk prevention, like how, how can someone frame a conversation with their kid to be able to like promote the the best sort of like information so is it literally just like sitting your kid down and being like okay like this is the facts as i know them what do you think about it or how can you kind of structure that conversation i think that uh that's a very good question and um with with uh and bearing in mind that i'm <clears throat> you know that i'm a, I'm a gp and not a uh, specialized in in uh, uh, psychology and, 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 and but but basically I think it's really a lot about uh, um, opening the initial gambit they call it opening the door to, to a conversation like uh, you know I've been hearing a, a few things about uh, cannabis use or marijuana use that it, it's got me worried uh, do you ever think about it or mm -hmm. uh, have you thought about it or or do you have any questions uh, because I've been reading about it and I've learned a lot of stuff about it but I'd be really interested to know what where you're at with this and what you think about it and um, the, uh, the the initial responses uh, might not be too too expressive or voluble initially but what you've done is opened the door and uh and the, the the child knows it's safe to talk about that mm -hmm. and that it's not going to be an issue of discipline or you're grounded or anything like that it's really more um this is life and i'd like to know you know uh, uh where you're at I, I don't know if that answered that yeah. question yeah well i think that that opening of the door is just important. open the door and, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. and uh um, you know, the context, I suppose, is really very important. Uh, you might, um, 
how can I say it? You know, there might be, there's probably times to have that, open that door. Um, you certainly wouldn't open the door when you're trying to get, help the child get ready to catch the bus or, <laughs> right? It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's really more just to, if there's a quiet time and just yeah. set the time aside. And uh, sometime you, you might say, well, I'd really love to hear more about it if you want to talk about it sometime uh, because I'm, I'm concerned about kids. I'm concerned about uh, what some of the effects of this are. I, I'm hearing that it might not be totally safe or it might be some harm if, if you're not careful and that kind of thing. Yeah. 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 And then there, it opens up the, what you were talking about before, about like, if you have a family dinner, then that's like an avenue. If you have those long car rides then that's an avenue, just those being able to utilize those, those ideal times to I, I think have so. productive conversation. I think so, Elias. And the other scenario could be uh, you're at the table and maybe one of the other siblings, one of the other kids, maybe an older kid starts to talk about, brings up about so-and-so uh, was caught smoking a joint in the bathroom at the school or something. Oh, what do you think about that then, you know, and and then start the conversation. The conversation shouldn't be, oh, you know, what an idiot, blah, 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 <laughs> you know, pound the table and that sort of thing. But we really, oh, that, that's interesting. Uh, gee, d- d- does that person smoke it a lot or who's tried it? Have you tried it? So on and so forth, you know, and and mm-hmm. they uh, they might deny it at first and then come back and, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, say, well, actually, I have tried it. They know that it's safe and they can have a, a conversation. Mm-hmm. So maintaining that curiosity. Mm-hmm. So trying to, trying to like keep that door open through yes. not, not like stigmatizing it, not making it taboo, but just kind of having having an open mind and trying to figure out where they're at, trying to convey the information that you have and create some sort of middle ground where you can both feel comfortable with uh, the potential for harms. Sure, sure. And, you know, uh, another point to, to that would be um, having an understanding that if either person is getting really uncomfortable with it, uh, you know, you could say to your your son or daughter or your child, um, you know, if I start to raise my voice, put your finger up and I, you know, and I'll, I'll calm down or vice versa. You know, you can sort of indicate that well, so that things are kept on an even keel. Some little strategy like that might be helpful. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. thank you. Did you, did you have any, any closing thoughts, anything you wanted to say to kind of wrap it all up into, into a nice little bow? Well, yeah, I, I think I would just summarize by saying that my conclusion is that parents have a, a really important role, as in so many ways, uh, to play in in uh, helping safeguard their children and 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 help their children make good decisions as they move through this uh, learning period, and to not be afraid to uh, open up these topics. You can also make it uh, fun, and it can be a joint learning experience. And above all have conversations, not confrontations, and be sure to listen, listen mm-hmm. carefully, yeah. Awesome, well, thank you, Tom, for joining us. And hey. I, yeah, I really appreciate your time and Me thank too, you for, for being able to share all the wonderful information that you have. Yeah, well, you know what? It's actually been fun. I'm <laughs> glad, <laughs> happy to hear that. Yeah, that's good. All right, <laughs> yeah. you take awesome. care. Thanks, you too. And for everyone watching, thank you for joining us. And uh, if you follow us on socials, uh, thank you so much. And if you don't, then give give us a look. We post some cool stuff.